Hi, I'm Dr. Akiva Down. And I'm Rabbi Avi Green. And welcome to Interesting Questions. In this podcast, we'll be addressing issues that are philosophical, religious, and psychological in nature, and exploring some of the deeper questions as we go into Season 2. We will be focusing on that which is considered to be controversial, and there may not be a right or wrong answer. So we are hoping that our discussions will yield more questions for your Shabbos table. Welcome to Interesting Questions. This week we are looking at Pirkei Avot, Ethics of Our Fathers, and we are in the first chapter, Perak Aleph, Mishnah Tet Zion, which is the 16th Mishnah. Rabban Gamliel, Ahaya Omer, Rabban Gamliel used to say, Aselecha Rav, establish for yourself a teacher, Vihistalek min hasafek, and remove yourself from uncertainty, umadot, and do not give an ex- an excess when you're giving tithes by estimation, and that means as opposed to by measure. So again, a three-part Mishnah here. Rabban Gamliel is coming forward, and he starts with Rav, establish for yourself a teacher. And I think that most of us, right, if we think about it, are familiar with the term establish for yourself a teacher and acquire for yourself a friend. So here is the first part of that. And to, to go out on, uh, uh, on my soapbox for a minute, Akiva, I'm going to talk about the importance of having a teacher or a rabbi. And I think that it is actually one of the most important things that we can have. And that is not just because everybody needs to be a lifelong learner, which is good and important, but rather the idea that when you have a rabbi in your life, and you have someone that you can go to who you're not just asking for advice, but you are asking your halachic questions of them. You are asking them to explain philosophical and legal Jewish issues to you. It means that you're not afloat by yourself. And I I see this very often in society today, right? People move around a lot. Um, Their rabbi was a rabbi in Israel, or their rabbi was their rabbi in high school, or their rabbi was their rabbi at Hillel when they were in college, and now they're adults, and they don't really have a rabbi that they connect with. And so when something comes up, whether it be a family event, whether it be a question of kashrut, Either they find themselves calling back to those rabbis of yore, um, or they end up either trying to look something up for themselves, usually through Rabbi Google. And that's not really a good way to go, because one of the most important things we are taught in rabbinical school is that every single case is unique, because it depends on the individual situation of 
the person who's asking the question. And so just because you found, oh, such and such got this answer, doesn't mean that that's the right answer for you. And so having a relationship with someone that you can go and ask deep questions about, again, whether they're legal questions, whether they're philosophical questions, once you've built that relationship, then you have an opportunity to allow that relationship to grow, to allow that relationship and the trust between yourself and that individual to develop so that the more they know you, the more they can answer your questions in a way that is meaningful for you. And while you might not always like the answer you get, at least you know that that answer is authentic and geared to you. Avi, I, I really appreciate what you said because I think that that's wonderful. Um, and, and I couldn't agree more. I do have a question about this because obviously I can't relate to the rabbinical component. I myself am not a Rav. Um, but as we've established, I am a psychiatrist. And, you know, one of the things that we learn in medical school and in residency, and I assume in all residencies, I've only done a psychiatry residency, but we are lifelong learners. And one of the things that's been clearly established within the medical field is that you should be running cases with colleagues. You should be discussing with your peers. And I've noticed that, you know, when I was in training, of course, those who had more training than I do or did, um, I would go to. I had my teachers. I had my supervisors and my mentors. And some of those supervisors and mentors have since become what I would like to consider friends and colleagues. And so it is actually a different setup where sometimes I, of course, I still ask them questions. I didn't stop respecting what they had to say, and they certainly still know amazing pieces of information, and they're wonderful uh, opportunities to learn. The question that I have is, and I'll start it with this, they also sometimes ask me because... I am now of a level of training and experience and knowledge base where I can answer questions that they might have. I have no idea if this happens within the rabbinical community, and the reason why I ask that is because they're in the impression that I have, which is probably the impression that many people have, right? You have your rebeim, and your rebeim have rebeim, and the rebeim that have rebeim, the rebeim that they have are higher and higher and higher in their knowledge base. And presumably, we ha I think that I say I, we, because I don't think I'm alone in this, have the impression that it's not ever to the point where there's a, not, not that it's not collegial, but that I can't imagine, do your rebeim ever ask questions of you as opposed to them asking questions of their rebeim? So I think that there are many parallels and I'm actually going to recommend another, uh, another podcast that I was listening to recently called The Orthodox Conundrum 
Um, and uh, December 25th of this past year, they had a great episode called Different Roles, Different Relationships, and Different Skills, Rabbinic Counseling and Psychotherapy. Um, and the guest there is Rabbi Larry Rothwax, who runs the counseling component for um, the Rabbi Isaac Elchanan Theological Seminary, or REITS, which is the rabbinical school at Yeshiva University. And he does an amazing job of laying out the difference between um, those who do therapy and those who do rabbinic counseling and the differences between those. I will share it with, with, uh, with you. But I think there are differences that are significant, but there are also parallels. And so I think when it comes to rabbis asking other rabbis, it falls into two categories. One or maybe even three categories. One is people who have their own rabbim. In other words, every rabbi should have a rabbi. So that is the person you learn from. That is the person that when you have certain questions, you may go to them because they know you and they answer your questions for you. The second is people who have become very specific subject area experts. So for instance, there are rabbis who are also medical doctors and maybe experts in the areas of halacha and medical questions. Or there may be people who have become experts in halacha and business and the laws of business. There may be rabbis who have become experts in the laws of halacha and kashrut and so they work in that particular field. And so it's not unusual for somebody to say, oh, I'm even th though this person may be younger or may not be as knowledgeable in the area of running a, you know, running a shul, I, I am going to call them about the following kashrut question because that is their area of expertise. And so there is that. And then there are the third category, which I'll call thought partners. And this is where you aren't necessarily going to somebody else for legal decisions. You're going to somebody else because they may be your chavruta, right? They're your thought partner in trying to figure out what do I do about this and what do I do about that and how do we handle this or how do I improve that? Um, and so that too can be helpful. Um, and in the in the piece I mentioned, they talked about how everyone who does therapy also has supervision, right? Somebody that they meet with regularly. And he suggests that this would be very helpful for rabbis. Somebody that they meet with on a regular basis that they can talk about in terms of the challenges that they face either personally or professionally. Um, and it strikes me as being very true that whether that person is a rabbi, whether that person is a therapist, somebody who can help give perspective, who can help give structure to all of the things that, that the rabbi might face, that's important. The other thing he talks about is that there are many places where rabbis have to work with other professionals in a meaningful way. So for instance, um, a rabbi who's trying to help a family deal with 
someone who is in an addicted state would be wise to contact someone like yourself to talk about, well, what are the best practices in terms of helping this family to understand what are appropriate parameters, what are good boundaries, and what boundaries are, are not as applicable in this particular case, right? Because it would be wise for them to recognize your expertise. Similarly, if someone came to you and said, you know, I've been working on my, um, uh, one of the cases that often comes up is um, if someone has a eating disorder and then fast days arrive, and am I required to fast on those days despite my eating disorder, it might interrupt my eating disorder, it might be important for me to eat, right? So it might make sense, again, with the proper permissions and sign-offs for you to consult with the rabbi who would say, well, depending on the particular fast day, depending on the person's individual situation, there too we can decide whether in this particular case this person would need to fast or not, and it doesn't have to be a blanket statement. So with that being said, let's go on to... Wait, Avi, before we go on, I have one more question. I realize we're talking about something that we talked about 10 Mishnayot ago, um, and that's actually what I would like to ask you, and I would generally ask if <clears throat> the way I'm looking at this, perhaps, is whereas, yes, we can break this up into three unique pieces... There's also that linkage here, which is so important, because otherwise, the question would be, why are we repeating the same piece ten Mishnah later? And I would imagine that it does have to do with the fact that in one of them, which is in the sixth Mishnah, it's specifically saying, accept yourself, make yourself a, a Rav, acquire for yourself a teacher and judge every person favorably as opposed to this one which is saying yes again except for upon yourself a rav but then specific after that is remove from yourself uncertainty and do not give excess when tithing by estimating now this is obviously a completely different mishnah when you combine them and I think that the next piece that's very important that we were going to get into um, before, I, before I kind of paused for a moment was removing from yourself uncertainty. So now we have this idea, not that you should make for yourself a teacher and acquire for yourself a friend. We have the idea that you should make for yourself a teacher, perhaps so that you can remove from yourself uncertainty. And I kind of would like to commend the fact that you've really already gotten into a lot of this because the importance there was clear. Lifelong learner. You're not going to have the answers for everything. You're not going to know everything. Certainly not in the beginning, even though many of us, in, right, we, we know that wisdom is often defined by knowing that which you don't know, which, and, and wisdom is bestowed upon the experienced Whereas with knowledge, we think we have all the knowledge there is when we're first starting. And so I think that the piece that I would like you to kind of touch on, if there is more, uh, 
is this idea of how important it is to have for yourself a continuous teacher, that continuity, even 10 Mishnayot later, how it's still important to know that you need a teacher because it removes uncertainty. So I think that's true. I'm not sure there's a lot more to say about it other than to, to point out that as we go through these Mishnayot, we are also going through generations. And so to keep in mind that while in the text it was only 10 Mishnayot before, Yoshua um, ben Parachia and Rabban Gamliel could have been multiple generations apart. And so this idea of Aselecha Rav is something that needed to be reminded, right? And yes, I think it is an important part of the whole of this Mishnah, but and 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 can be understood slightly differently than our previous one because of its juxtaposition to the next piece of the Mishnah. Um, but I think it is still this idea of looking at the at, at the whole and saying to yourself, I have a direction in the world and I have a guide in the world. And that's why to remove oneself from uncertainty on its surface seems to be almost uh, impossible, right? You can never remove all uncertainty from the world. It's impossible to try and, and figure out exactly what's going to happen every minute of every day and you plan it out and we know that if you do that, that's not whatever really happens. But the flip side of that is how much uncertainty do you really want in your life? And how much uncertainty can you put up with your life? Last week we talked about the importance of a schedule. And I think that this week it's not just the schedule that gives us certainty. It's the relationships with other people, right? Being able to trust them, being able to be with them and, and, and know what to expect from them that is important as well. Well said. I, I don't know that I can really add more to that because I think that what we're seeing is a progression of the knowledge base and, and seeing that really how Pirkei Avot seems to progress is very clearly in an organized scheduled pattern uh, that has made itself abundantly clear the more that we learn. And I suspect it may continue to do that. I think that that's one of the things that we learned from Mishnah in general is that it's not, it's not chaotic. It's not haphazard. It was, it was compiled in such a way that it should be that one builds upon another and one does see that growth is apparent. And that is the point of this sentence. Have a direction. Know who you're learning from. Accept that you'll always need to learn more. And by building upon your past, you will have a future that has direction and guidance. We always have a saying in psychiatry and in mental health in general, past predicts future. 
right? So people will ask when you have a patient who might hurt themselves, how do you know? One of the risk factors is if they have a history of doing it. One of the risk factors for doing anything is if you have a risk, if you have a history of doing it, because we know that we are patterned individuals. That was the other piece that's important from last week. This fixed practice idea, this schedule, we are patterned and routine creatures. And so what this is saying is it's, I'm reading this as if it's to understand that we know that we are patterned and routine creatures. So let's make sure that we plan accordingly and realize that we don't want uncertainty as best as we can in our life. So what do we do? We go by guidance. And I think that part of this is also a protection of ourselves. In other words, if we look at the last piece of Altar Bela Aser Umadot, right? Do not give by estimation. I would suggest it's because time and again, what we find is that people are really bad at estimation. Um, there's a famous uh, sociologist, psychologist, Daniel Kahneman, um, who talks about the planning fallacy, uh, optimism bias, these ideas that essentially we're really bad at estimating how much time something will take, at ratios, at figuring out exactly you know, what, what something is. We, we tend to be biased towards our own wants and desires. And so while someone might start off by saying, well, I'm going to estimate how much grain I have to give and I'll be overly generous, in the end, well, I estimated and I think I'm close enough. Did I really give enough? Did I not give enough? Am I removing myself from uncertainty? Or should I just measure and I think that this is something that can be applied to our lives as a whole, which is if we're talking about what we want to accomplish, right? The idea of having a measurable goal, not estimating, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do some of that work this afternoon. It'll take me about three months to write a book. No, 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 no. It takes a lot longer than that. But if you plan it out and if you say, Okay, on this day, I am going to write between 500 and 1,000 words. And the next day, I'm going to write between 500 and 1,000 words. And, and you plan out what you want to accomplish, then A, you're much more likely to accomplish it. And B, I think that the, the ability to hold yourself accountable and to have others hold you accountable becomes much more significant and much more real. So now the question for your Shabbos table. We know that we just talked a lot about how past predicts future, ways to remove uncertainty, how estimation, uh, how terrible we are at estimation. And let's combine that for a moment. I, I would like to know, looking back at our past, what can we say that in the past we have estimated perhaps incorrectly or inaccurately, and now knowing what that is, how can we learn from that to remove the uncertainty of estimation and help plan better for a more guided future in a goal?
what are your goals? How are you going to achieve them? And what plans are you actually going to set so that you are sure that they happen? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at iqdiscuss at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and responding.